Are you looking to get into music? Are you looking to learn an instrument? Are you looking to refine your music skills? Then you need Emily Taylor Music. Emily Taylor runs one-on-one or small group lessons available in Chermside on Brisbane's north side. She is high quality in professional tuition in voice, piano, and guitar. It's never too late to start, so all ages and abilities are welcome. You could be just as good as Machinery Hill, or even better. To get in contact, shoot her an email at emilytaylormusic at gmail.com. Hey guys, Matt from Back Yourself Fitness here and welcome to another episode of the Back Yourself Podcast. Today's episode, we are going to roll through part two of the Machinery Hill story. So if you haven't heard part one, jump on back. It's the previous episode. Like I said, I'm going to break this uh, topic, I guess, or subject up into a few parts, make the episodes a little bit smaller. Um, so a bit of a recap for those of you who don't know, I used to play in a band called Machinery Hill. Um, the music career lasted for 10 years. Machinery Hill, our original music, lasted for about five of those years. Um, we did albums, singles, film clips, pretty pretty, uh, pretty decent-sized gigs around Brisbane um, before we, we stopped doing what we were doing and before I um, pulled the pin in 2013. Uh, recap of the previous part. So... Three of us boys got together in high school, two original guitarists left, we got two new guitarists in, we were playing covers all around the place, all the money we made from cover music, we put back into the band, equipment, recording, promotion, whatever it was, and then we moved pretty much, I don't want to say solely into originals, but our focus was our own music, writing and performing our own music, and we've recorded up to two-thirds of an album by this point so about seven eight songs we've got recorded uh for our debut album and now we're going to jump back into the the machinery hill story so episode or part one was sponsored by furphy today's part is sponsored by green beacon wayfarer the american tropical ale i do like it so treat yourself if you like something fancy in the beer steaks uh, so I'm going to have a sip to start things off. Very much like the previous part. If it's an appropriate time, crack a drink. If it's not, crack a drink anyway, because when we were playing in a band, that's what we would have done. So I felt like looking back on the band, after every milestone we hit or big gig we hit, it was kind of like, all right, what do we do now? So, for example, we'd record and we'd come back and we'd have to go back to reality or we'd play a, a, a massive gig and then we'd come back to reality. It's like, oh, fuck, what do we do now? So it was that high and then oh, I've got to go back to normal. I was like, oh, shit. So now what do we do? And then it's back into the rhythm of writing, recording, uh, like recording practice tracks to work off, practicing cover gigs to earn more money so you can reinvest in yourself it was really really a business when we look back on how the band was operating uh i want to touch on writing because i believe like the songwriting aspect machinery had a very strange way of writing so excuse me we would hire 
hire a practice room. So you, you'd pay for a practice room for like three, four hours and it'd always be a weeknight. So I felt sorry for the, the boys in the band who were apprentices or tradies. Like, I, if someone asked me we had to pra- if we had to practice till 10 o'clock, if I would do it, I would like now, I would say, yeah, nah. So more power to them. That was great dedication. So we'd hire a practice room, which we'd pay for, and we'd try and jam something out and we'd just kind of hope a song would happen. Um, sometimes it worked. Like, for example, I believe Roll Down started as a jam uh, at a band practice that I actually missed because I was on a flight coming back from Airlie Beach and the plane got delayed and they just jammed out Roll Down. Uh, sometimes it did work, so great. Other times it just felt like we were trying to fought like Lukey's style, his style of jamming wouldn't mesh with Jason's style of drums and Kino was trying to put a guitar part over bits that didn't mesh and Scott, like the bass is the driver, he was trying to play like a rhythmical kind of thing and it, it, it just sometimes it just didn't work and then all of a sudden you've wasted an hour or so of band practice of just fucking around which like you got to do that i guess but when you're paying for it every every second counts so you got to make those we we needed to make those sessions worthwhile and i like i didn't play an instrument okay so i'd kind of wait until there was some kind of rhythm or melody before i would actually join in and so, sometimes like i didn't join in at all because it was just it was just noise that was going on. So we didn't, I feel like our, our writing process could have been better. Like when I did write music, or not write music, write lyrics, I can tell you this, 90% of the words I wrote mean nothing. Like if you listen to the songs and try and find out if there's a message or something, and nothing. I just try to make words sound good. There's no cool hidden meaning. They're just literally just words. But if something that I wrote, like lyrically, resonates with you and you can find a meaning out of those words, great. You you keep that meaning for that song. But for me, it was just, I, I wasn't writing about experiences or jilted ex-lovers or anything like that. They're just words. I believe our, our greatest writing success was when someone had an idea uh, that they brought to band practice and we can build off that. So songs like... Um, What's a good example? Uh, Eclipse, for example. So Kino had the first verse and he had that rhythmical, the rhythm of the of the song, which, which is the thing that we kept the whole way through. And it, we had, so he had a verse. I can't remember if he had a chorus. I think he did. No, he did. He had a verse and a chorus and a riff. And all of a sudden we had a song to build off or something like Something On Me. Lukey had a song. And he uh, brought it to the band and same thing. I believe he had like most of the song down and we just, Kino put his guitar bit on top of that and Jace put his drums in and gave it feel and Scotty with the drive and me with the vocals and I think I may have had to add added another verse. I can't remember. But what I'm trying to say is when you came, when we came to band practice with an idea, we had a better chance of refining refining like a song out of it instead of just hoping hoping for the best so i i believe that's where our writing process was the strongest uh it's 2009 by this point and the only cover gigs we were doing were basically um the jubilee hotel which i mentioned in part one uh we had a residency there uh and we did private functions as well so once again these were purely just to reinvest back into the band 
enter the Duchesne College Ball. Now, the guys in the band know what I'm going to talk about, and I hope they've got a smile on their face when when they hear me say the College Ball. Um, I can't remember how, but we got approached to play this college college ball, and they had their like recovery day the following day. So I think how it worked was one of the girls from the college came and watched us play just covers just to see what we sounded like. I don't know how they found out about us or if it was just random. I, I can't remember. And they were like, yep, sweet. That's exactly what we want. Uh, how much do you charge? So we're like, okay. So we accepted and charged as much as we could and we high-fived each other and we thought, great, we've got back-to-back uh, gigs that's out of the norm good and it's a whole new audience so we didn't know what to expect but we knew it'd be a private function so there'd definitely be people there the ball itself so the i think the ball was on the friday night it was loose oh jesus christ loose holy dooly imagine hundreds of well-dressed 18 to like early 20s uni students who just loved drink loved the drink Oh, like I I think about like my friendship group and think about the, the loosest person in my friendship group and it was just like that times a hundred people, like hundreds of people. It was ridiculous. The gig went well and the venue, was like it was just beautiful. Every year it had to be in a different venue because it was just beautiful venue. But by the end of the night, it was a complete war zone, like broken glass, Holes in walls, toilets ripped off the wall. It was, it was a mess. Like we couldn't believe what was happening. Like it started off really good, and everyone, you know, everyone was up and about, and they wanted to dance from the start. So I was like, "Yep, great, cool, play all like upbeat kind of shit." Then as the night rolled on, we just saw, like, song by song, people get looser and looser, and like we played eagle rock and you should have seen the place light up like all the blokes like yeah everyone pull their pants down it was it was like like loose uni students um the next day we had to play their recovery session um we we were hungover. look we stayed we stayed somewhere near the venue so we could all have a drink during and after the gig so the the recovery gig as it was billed to us was at tawong bowls club so this shitty old bowls club, um, we we get there 30 minutes before we were meant to, meant to start. It usually took us about 90 minutes to set all our gear up properly. We thought it'd be this nice cruisy acoustic style gig to get through, like just kind of paddle our way through it really and like, yeah, play some upbeat stuff, but hopefully everyone was kind of just keen to recover really. That's what the gig was. I walked in first. Like I remember we pulled up and the other guys were at the trailer. I walked in first and it was carnage. It was utter carnage inside. Like these guys had either not slept or barely slept and they were already as drunk as they were the night before. But today they were like spitting food dye at each other for some reason. And they're all in like fancy dress, like not fancy dress, but like shit kit, like kids costumes. And it, it was, oh, it was if the night before was a war zone, this was something else. I was like, fuck me. I turned around. I remember this vividly. I turned around. Powell walked back outside and said to the other boys, we need to set up now. And like, they're like, oh, what's going on? And I said, you just got to, you got to come and see this. 
and like they came inside they had a look and then from there all we could do was that like kind of like i'm doing now that excited nervous laugh like just like holy sh- this is gonna be like this is insane so it was like a speed setup we gotta get going gotta get going it was a wild day we played that gig three years in a row and after the first time we're like yeah we know what to expect the second time it like it just find another level and they had to be in completely different venues because the venues were destroyed the third year same thing we're like yep sweet we kind of know what to expect no we didn't it they just surprised us every year so it was three fun three fun gig weekends across three years but I honestly believe that that was the loosest crowd we ever played in front of. And we played a lot of country gigs and I I honestly believe they were the loosest gigs that we've ever played. Um, The final mention of cover gig stories is going to be the Jubilee Hotel. Um, There's a lot more people who are going to be smiling when when I say the Jubilee Hotel. We played this venue for years. So it was every Friday night we played in the public bar and then every Sunday Arvo in the beer garden and occasionally there'd be like a uh, originals gig upstairs so we'd play maybe a Saturday night up there as well. We knew all the staff, we knew all the managers, we knew all the security so it's fair to say that we could get away with a fair bit at the old Jube. Um, They were happy because we brought our renter crowd so they made money over the bar um, and we were well into our music, uh, original music but these gigs were literally party and a bit of fun. So like I said, how do you make gigs fun? You start having a drink. And on Sundays, that was the big selling point. They were doing like $2 schooners, $2 schooners and $2 steaks and things like that. And we would just try and G up all of our mates to come along. And we we weren't playing late. I think we'd finished up by like six or seven o'clock on a Sunday night. So we had Lukey's acoustic trio with his brother-in-law, Crumpy, and another bloke, Sparksy. So they'd played before us for two hours and then we'd play for the final two hours. So it was only a two-hour gig. Um, so that kind of gave us a little bit of free reign to have more fun because we could play all our strong songs and if you were lucky, and not, lucky enough to not be working on Monday, then you could enjoy a beverage or two. Uh, there's photos of me in my jocks singing on stage from the Jubilee Hotel, but... In saying that, there's photos from a few venues where I'm on stage in my jock. So that wasn't a, a, a strange occurrence, but that's the kind of stuff we could get away with. I just take my pants off and sing on stage. Uh, the Sunday Arvo, Jube, Sunday Arvo Jube sessions were the epitome, like I said, of let's have fun and make people laugh. Uh, I could tell a hundred stories. Oh, well, Hundreds probably lie because I don't think I could remember a hundred stories um, from the the time due. But this is the one that stands out for me, and um, Keno actually brought it up as well. But I'll try and try and recall it the, to the best of my ability. Uh, we it was a typical Sunday Arvo gig. We had all our mates there having a good time, of course. And what we do is we'd set up like set up, play the gig, yada yada yada. And as the gig got on, it's like, yep, yeah, cool. Let's start climbing on things and keep playing like yeah cool i'm up higher so we had really tall speakers whether so whether you stand on the speakers and or kino had uh wireless guitar so all of a sudden you look over and kino's standing on the beer garden bar playing and like like it was just our mates essentially so it was all a bit of fun um it was the time of the gig 
we're, you know, we're starting to climb on things. And I was like, yep, sweet. I had a huge mic lead. So I walked out into like the group of people who were on the dance floor and I climbed up on um, one of the, the, like the high bar tables. And it's one of those real sturdy ones. I'm talking not very big at all. You can probably have like two or three people standing around it. And I like, I climbed up on a stool and then climbed up on the table and it was like skating on it. It was rocky, rocky as is. And then, yep, I'm singing, boom, 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 boom. And then whooshka, some random patron came along and had reefed the table out from underneath me. So my feet have gone up past my head and all of a sudden, like the music just stops. But Sparksy, the guitarist from the acoustic band, was just coincidentally standing next to me or standing underneath me and he catches me before I hit the ground. So I'm totally fine. But the music stops, security runs in, and the, the whole gig stops down. And I was just like, what the fuck happened then? And old mate obviously got escorted out of the venue, but that could have been a very, very different ending to that gig. If Sparksy wasn't there to catch me, I would have collided with the concrete from standing on top of one of the bar tables. And it would have been a very, very different story. Um, but t- that gives you an idea of what would happen at the Jubilee Hotel on Sunday Arvos. I used, I used to say I shaved a few years off my life from playing at the Jube and I fully, fully think that I did. Uh, our next stop for recording was the final songs on the album. So we still had three songs maybe left for the album. Uh, and we kept it local and we recorded at Wavelength Studios in Toonville. So we, we kind of got closer to home. We started in Sydney, we went down near Byron and then we ended up at Toonville just down the road. Uh, the recording process is very cool, like I mentioned earlier in part one, but it can be very boring at the same time. It's it's very cool to hear your song come together and it, it goes from this, what you think is a polished song and then they put the finishing touches and you put more and more to the song. And it's like, holy fuck, now this is a finished song. But the boring side of things is, is once your parts are done, that's you kind of done. So, for example, we would come in, we would do what was called like a live take. So the whole band plays the song, me as well. So the vocals give everyone a, a guide of where we're up to in the song. And then from there, that would be the... Um, I guess the 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 track that you play to, so you know you're in the right spot. So when everyone recorded their bit, um, they would have the backing track or that um, live track playing, so they knew where they're up to. So Jace, our drummer, his bit was always first because drums need to go down first. So once his bits were done, that was it for him. Like yes, he may have done a couple of like rhythm section bits, like shaker or tambourine or excuse me, or things like that, but. For the most part, that was his process, recording process done. Now, on the flip side, after I'd done that um, that live track at the beginning, I really had nothing to do until it was time for me to put down my vocal track, which was towards the back end of proceedings. So you'd go, yep, cool, you do your drum bits, you do your bass guitar, you do your rhythm guitar, I think, next, and then lead, and then extra lead bits and da 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 and then my vocals go down, backing vocals and harmonies go in, and then just extra stuff to beef out the song, like claps and tambourines and things like that. Um, it was, it was like I said, a lot of time hanging out, 
but it, it depends if you're fully invested in the process or even if you're fully invested in the process, you're going to have times where it's like, oh, geez, I'm bored. And I just want to go for a walk or something. And I know um, the other guys felt like that as well. Like it reminds me of when we recorded Eclipse. Um, I think we're in Sydney. Oh, actually, I, I can't remember where we were. We recorded Eclipse anyway. And the other guys were like, yep, sweet. We're going to go for lunch. And I was just doing like messing around with harmonies and things like that. And I was like, yep, sweet. So they went away and I did some of the best work that I'm, or some of the vocals that I'm proud of the most when it was just me and the producer, Jamie, hanging out. So the other boys just needed, they'd done their bits, they just needed their break, cool. I'd kind of been faffing around waiting to do my stuff, but you didn't all have to kind of be there every second, every minute. Going back to recording at uh, Toomble, funny little story from that uh, recording session. As mentioned now a couple of times throughout these podcasts, we were always trying to make <clears throat> make each other laugh, get a giggle out of it. So we're in this studio and imagine a big, imagine a room, like, like what's a good, like a, a large living room kind of thing. And that's where we do the, rec- like that was one of the recording rooms, but it was a separate room from where all the control panels were. So we're in this room and there's a camera set up from the control room so they can see what's going on. And Lukey won't mind me saying this, but he loves getting his ass out or loved getting his ass out. So the joke was we had to do claps like we had to do claps in one of the songs. So he's like, oh, I like got his ass out and he's like, oh, sweet. I'm going to do it on my ass. And we obviously thought it was funny because that's the kind of humor we were into. So we all did it. So in one of the songs, I can't even remember which song it is. In one of the songs that you hear claps, the that's not hands clapping together. That's hands slapping bare asses. So that's a little bit of Machinery Hill trivia that I guarantee no one outside of the band knows or maybe a few people, but yeah, there you go. Take that to the bank, hey? I'm going to have a sip. All right. So looking back, 2010 and 2012 were our biggest years for sure. A lot of noteworthy stuff happened in those two years. Um, We recorded our album. That's all locked in now. All the tracks are done. And we'd locked in a date to launch our first single, Roll Down. So we had a funny way of, just on that, we had a funny way of, um, I guess, dealing with the process or going through the process. So it'd be like, all right, we've done an EP, that means we have to do an album. All right, we've done an album, that means we have to do a film clip. If we've done a film clip, it means, oh, now where do we go? Like it felt like we had to, in our minds, we were kind of working off this chronological order that we were making up as we were going along anyway. So it was a little bit weird, but hey, whatever. So we'd locked in a date to launch our first single roll down. Uh, and this is the pre-Spotify era. So we had all these CDs printed uh, with just a single on it. So just one song uh, and it was available on iTunes. So the only way you could listen to roll down was if you physically bought a single CD office or bought it off iTunes. And from memory, trying to get songs on iTunes was a fucking massive fuck around. Um, It was the 2nd of Feb, 2010. We had the Roll Down single launch downstairs at GPO. Uh, And it was a good venue. We used to play there occasionally on Thursday night for uh, cover gigs. I think we we got that gig 
through someone like through one of the DJs that we'd met at a function or something like that. So we played a couple of uh, Thursday night cover gigs there, and then we approached them to play uh, our single launch there on a Saturday night downstairs. So we knew there'd be a crowd, uh, crowd there, and obviously our renter crowd as well. Uh, much like the band comp, it was a solid gig, and we had a, an awesome, an awesome group of friends, fans, whatever you want to call them. Um, we got a great reaction. But once again, like we hit that milestone of there's a big gig and then we go, well, now what do we do? It was almost like the high, the adrenaline of doing this exciting thing, whatever it was. And then the come down from doing that thing, it was like, it's almost what's greater, the come down or the high of doing whatever we were doing. That That's how it felt for me anyway. Uh, going through the photos of that gig, once again, Machinery Hill still has a Facebook page if you want to go back and you can see all these photos that I'm talking about. Um, going through the photos of the gig, as I mentioned about the photo shoot, when we put some effort in and looked like wanted to look like the band, and once again, that was some of that fell on my shoulders being at the front or whatever. But when we um, put effort into looking like a band, fuck, we looked like a band and we looked like we were properly the thing at the front and the thing that everyone should be looking at and for some reason i had taken my pants off on stage again i don't know it's just what i did so just prior that gig to that gig as well we decided on a logo change for the band the original logo was something that keno whipped up on uh one of the 2000s computer art programs it was cool it did the job um but lukey came up with the uh the idea of a green triangle the band was called machinery hill you know green triangle hill um it was noticeable it was simple it was neat it kind of made sense and i the um the original marketing idea for that was i think lukey came lukey's idea was imagine if there was just green triangles that started popping up you know around brisbane or something like that and that that could be our subtle way of promoting or you know it could be the first step in a promotional um uh, what am I trying to say? Like reveal. That's what promotional reveal. So start off with the green triangle and then, you know, put the green triangle and with machinery hill on it and then expand on that on what machinery hill is, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we had a banner made up. So I don't, I don't know where we got that made. It was just white letters on a black banner, but we put the green triangle around the A in machinery hill and it just, it just looked clean. Like it, it was just a neat look. Um, we, Eventually, which ended up turning out into our album artwork, we had a guy come in, I'm going to touch on that in a sec, who came in and really took the idea of Machinery Hill and turned it into the logo that we see on all the CDs and the posters and stuff. But before I go into that, funny story. Across the journey in our bands, we've had a very interesting relationship with tattoos. Things like... Jason getting rhythm spelt or tattooed on his arm but spelt wrong and not knowing it. Um, Scotty getting rhythm tattooed on his arm but spelt correctly just as a little bit of a cheeky dig. Um, and then this story. <laughs> Scotty, Jace and myself were down the coast on a Monday, a Monday of all days, catching up with Jason's then partner at the time. It escalated very, very quickly into a torrid drinking session on a, on a Monday. Let's keep that in mind. And we all know anything can happen on the Gold Coast. 
So we stumble out of the pub, but I, I couldn't even tell you what time. And we end up in a tattoo parlor. And what's top of mind? The band logo change. So the three original Machinery Hill members saddled up, signed the waiver, and we're getting tattooed. So we are full of piss and vinegar. We've been drinking for a while now. I have no tattoos at this point. Um, Jason and Scotty just have their rhythm tattoos. Uh, but all right, let's go for it. Sit in the tattoo chair. And we got, well, myself and Jason got a plain green triangle. No detail to it. A plain green triangle with a black outline tattooed on our forearms. And that was my first tattoo. So, yep, sweet. Got that done. Comes, comes time for Scotty to get his. And he, Scott didn't want colour, so he just got uh, an outline of a triangle tattooed on his forearm. So there is a very few people who, who know what Scotty's tattoos means. I, I've, I got mine filled in to, to look like the rest of the album artwork. But when we did it, it was like, yeah, this is really cool. Yeah, we're mad, whatever. And then the next day I wake up, I was like, fuck, my arm is sore. What the? Oh, that's right. We got tattoos last night. So that was how I got my first tattoo and, and then obviously got addicted from there. But I got my first tattoo after drinking for X amount of hours down the Gold Coast on a Monday afternoon. All right. So we have an album of songs, this cool new new logo, sweet matching tattoos. Now what? So we booked a venue to do our album launch. Um we did this on the 15th of May, 2010. We did it at the zoo in the Fortitude Valley. So we played a few gigs there. We supported the Sky Bombers there, which is a gig I spoke about in part one. Uh, and we pl- we'd played a couple of like Thursday night gigs, I think, at the zoo. Um, so because it was a bigger gig, we managed to lock in a Saturday night time slot at the zoo. Um, it was our chance to show our fans what we've been working on for the past two years uh, and we were excited to share this. Like obviously partners and some family members had heard the songs because we had copies of the CD, but the the wider audience hadn't heard what we've been working on. So it was a very exciting night. Um, and when we were, or when I was talking to the other boys, this is hands down, one of the highlights, if not the greatest highlight, because from this point onwards, I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything, but from this point onwards, um, all our massive highlights revolve around support slots or bigger gigs that we're not the the number one. So this is probably the peak of Machinery Hill playing a gig where they are the headline act. Uh, all the other guys, like I said, spoke to, that's their top memory. And it just, it's what we'd work towards. It's what we wanted. We're all hungry for it. Every song, no matter whether it was our (coughs) newest, our oldest, our strongest, our weakest, it got an unreal response. Unreal response. The outpouring of support we got was unbelievable. We had a solid section of the crowd who'd been to our gigs from day one. They got to see us grow and improve and keep growing and improving. And here we are launching our album. People like like Jason's parents jump out to my mind or Scotty's parents or Scotty's partner. 
they had been to gigs from Mr. International's days. Like they'd known we were in a band from year 10 and here we are launching our debut album. We did, we did the whole thing properly. Um, we had an MC do for the night. We had this mad intro track. So before we were going to come on, the music comes down we play this intro track and then the band comes on stage and everyone goes, Oh yeah, the band's here. Cool. Um, we, we, purposely didn't play our two biggest songs and we walked off stage and we got an encore so we came back and it was all that shit and it was just magic it was it was one of the best gigs we played um we had a reporter from a local uh music magazine write a review write a review about our our show and the gist was yeah they were good but some songs lacked direction um i'll touch more on that towards the end but we for what we did we were in love with the, what we did, the music that we played, um, and we didn't really have an outside, outside set of ears or eyes give us feedback. So we all took that feedback on board. He gave me a bit of a, a glowing review. So thank you, whoever you were. But um, yeah, I remember we all kind of read it, and it wasn't deflating, but we go, "Yep, cool." We there are song we did know there were songs that just weren't as strong as the other songs. Now, that also comes back to the fact that we really only had 12, possibly 14 songs in our repertoire, and that's including songs we'd brought from Mr. Internationals back in the day. Um, so we didn't really have that option to not play certain songs because we had to play all our songs because we needed to fill that time up with that music. As a little side note, to this day, I have a, a little book of memories and obviously no one knows that besides me. A uh, little book of memories, so like tickets and door lists and posters and ads and gig guides. Anything we were mentioning, I kept as a little keepsake and it's it's nice to go through every now and again and just look back and like that's how, how I'm u- using some of this information as, as reference points like articles that were written about us or photo shoots that we did or what gig guides that were in or whatever. Um I've I kind of touched on it a second ago. The artwork was done by a guy called Dale Napier, and he took the uh, the idea of the plain green triangle and turned it into this magic, well detailed um, green triangle that was re- the representative of Machinery Hill. It's the album cover. It was on all our posters. It is phenomenal, and Dale. Loved it. That's still one of the things I'm proudest of today from the band. Like it just looked, the CDs and the CD cover just looks Mickey Mouse. So thanks, mate. Cheers to you. Sweet. So last thing I want to touch on in this episode or this part of the episode is our film clip. Uh, we did a single launch. Tick. Cool. We recorded a whole album. Tick. Cool. We had done an album launch now what do we do this is this chronological order that we were we were working through but we we're kind of setting our own our own i guess timeline with but we're just kind of winging it so we thought all right film clips obviously the next logical step so we pulled in favors from whoever we could and more thank yous massive thank you to sam uh who worked at a place called the prop house where we filmed the film clip for roll down and one of our mates jack or hamish uh who helped us with uh, the filming and the lighting and things like that. So thanks, guys. It was still an expensive venture once we added in the actual filming and makeup and the hiring of the venue and all that kind of stuff. 
it's we still drop cash on it. Like nowadays, you can film a film clip off your fucking phone, but back then we were just kind of yeah, we don't know what we're doing, so here's money to spend on this thing, you know. Um, looking back, I honestly believe the the vibe and. I am proud of the film clip, cool, but the vibe of the film clip is not us. It, it wasn't who we were as the five blokes, the five guys trying to make each other laugh. We had no real creative concept going into it, so we were kind of like going off outside suggestion and we're like, yeah, okay, cool, yeah, maybe, yeah, they're cool, that could work. And very much like the photo shoot, like the cameras aren't on and we're fucking around and having a laugh and talk, talking to everyone. Camera comes on and... And obviously you've got to be professional, but camera comes on and we're serious. We're like that generic rock band, blue steel. I'm in a rock band. Da, 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 da. I just, I don't know. It, it wasn't us. You know what I mean? Like I'm saying that in hindsight, but it, it could have been a whole lot more lighthearted considering we had a whole dance for roll down made up, which is just me kind of taking a piss of what the lyrics are and me doing dance moves to the lyrics and then we go to the film clip and it's like us being serious rock band kind of stuff once again i'm saying that in hindsight but i'm proud of it we have a film clip out there it's still on youtube now youtube machinery hill roll down and you get to see me at about five kilos heavier um with long curly hair and yeah we're just going for it now uh, we, we released a film clip or we filmed the film clip sorry september 2010 and it's still getting views today. So thanks to everyone who's had a click and who will be clicking after listening to this. Um, but yeah, that was the film clip. And we got it done. And very much like the album, we just kind of dropped money on it and away we went. Um, but tell you what, I'll, I'll share this last little bit from the end of 2010 and then we move into 2011. So I'll finish this episode, this part of the podcast ending 2010 so one of our biggest years so last big gig of 2010 was in august and it was down the gold coast supporting this band called trial kennedy now a few people may know who trial kennedy are it was a massive buzz for me because i'm a fan of trial kennedy some of their music some of their songs are still in my playlist today we practice hard rehearsed our show uh we had a good gig lined up. We had a couple of mates who were even keen to come down from Brisbane to the Gold Coast, Gold Coast to watch the gig because a good mate of mine, uh, Dotto, big fan of Trial Kennedy. So he came down and people stayed down the coast and it was all gravy. And we played to 10 people. And those 10 people were the 10 people we brought with us. Uh, it was deflating. But, you know, not all gigs can be packed to the rafters and, like, it's cool we get to see Trial Kennedy play and we'd seen them sound check, and it was like, holy Christ, these guys are sick. Um, so I was pumped to see the, the crowd for Trial Kennedy and I was pumped to see the show they put on. So Trial Kennedy get on stage and they played to the 10 people that we brought. I was like, fuck. They were, like, their show was unreal. But I remember thinking, like, how can a band who's established enough to be touring around Australia be this good and be playing to essentially your support acts' friends? It, like, it sticks out in my mind. Um, even though we played to no one, it was another good gig. It was another high-profile gig for us. 2010 was definitely a successful year. But then we're moving into 2011. So there's only two more years left of Machinery Hill at this point. Um, that's where I'm going to leave today's episode. I'm going to leave the episode off with 
another song from the album. Uh, what song do I want to play? This song is going to be called Want Me Now. I do like Want Me Now. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Subscribe so you don't miss any episodes of the Back Yourself podcast. Until I talk to you again for more on the Machinery Hill story, just back yourself, hey?